0: Hello, welcome to episode three of the Karma Sense Wellness Foodcast, the meat episode. I'm your host, Davy H., and as the great philosopher Pink said, let's get this party started. If you were expecting to actually hear that Pink song, forget about it. I'm on a budget. But on to the episode. This time my guest is Taylor Hudnall. He's a neighbor of mine, and he works at Let's Meat on the Avenue. And he's a butcher. He's a neighborhood butcher. That's something you don't see much these days, and he's going to talk to us about the current state of that art. He also helps me with my pork problem. See, I love pork, but of all the animals on Old McDonald's Farm, piggies are my favorite. They're really cute. They're very intelligent. And so I just don't like the way they're mistreated on most farms. And humane farms? They're okay, but there's got to be a better solution. And Taylor helps me find that better solution. But first, the news. I'd really hope that the very first news item I did on this foodcast wouldn't be preachy, but I can't help myself. Today, the Center for Science in the Public Interest, or CSPI, announced their winners of the 2016 Extreme Eating Awards. This is not a list you want to be on. In reviewing the list, one <clears throat> winner, he said using air quotes, stuck out. Pizzeria Uno's Whole Hog Burger consists of over a pound of meat, hamburger, sausage, bacon, prosciutto, pepperoni, four kinds of cheese, garlic, mayo, and of course a pickle. Oh, and a side of fries and onion rings to boot. It's the equivalent of four McDonald's quarter pounders with cheese, or royales with cheese as they say in France and in Pulp Fiction, two medium fries, and 18 packs of salt. And you get all that for 17 bucks. What you also get for your money is 2,850 calories, 6 days worth of salt, and a crap load of saturated fat and cancer-causing processed meat. It's a real bargain in that you're getting 167 calories for every dollar. If you opted for those four Big Macs and two fries instead, you'd be paying 10% more. So at PU, or Pizzeria Uno, you get much more crap for your dollar. This cheap calories thing is something we'll revisit in a future episode. For now I want to talk about how I get hung up as much on how we eat as I do on what we eat. Can you really taste all those different meats? Can you taste anything other than the salt? When do you push the plate away and say you've had enough? Does that meal really taste better than a perfectly roasted chicken with a side of crispy Brussels sprouts and some Cuban black beans? Does it really? And when I do look at this from the perspective of what you eat and I think a Karma Sense eating plan mantra number two. Eat protein in every meal? This is an entire day of protein and calories in one meal. Furthermore, even if it's all you ate all day, you'd still need to walk about three hours more than you usually do to burn the calories from the excess. So go ahead and have a whole hog burger on a whim or a dare, but do so with your eyes wide open. I think if you do, you'll come back with a hankering for a perfectly roasted chicken with a side of crispy Brussels sprouts and some Cuban black beans. Now, two side notes on this story. The Center for Science and the Public Interest is kind of like the ACLU. A lot of what they do is for awareness and publicity. I don't always agree with their positions, but I love that they exist. Second, I don't yet have full control over who advertises on the show. I've already heard that there was a commercial for TGI Friday's Endless Apps. Oddly, that offering didn't appear on the CSPI list. Don't worry, Fridays. Much like I always say about my beloved New York Mets, wait till next year. I'll put a link to the extreme food list in the show notes. Go ahead and give it a look and tell me which ones you're most curious about. A lucky guest and I will try it out and tell you what we think sometime in the future. As I've said, we take the hits so you don't have to. Inch by inch, yard by yard, I walk up Mount Vernon Avenue in search of the rare an elusive neighborhood butcher, and ultimately, I find him. Hello, I'm here speaking to Taylor Hudnall. He is the uh, butcher at Let's Meat on the Avenue in Alexandria, Virginia, in Hip Del Rey. Taylor, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. Taylor, right now there seems to be a resurgence in the whole art of meat cutting. When I was a a kid, even the only uh, exposure I had to butcher was Sam the Butcher from the Brady Bunch. When I go to the supermarket, they hid them behind these mirrored cases, and now you don't even see them so much in in that variety anymore. So do you believe that there is a current resurgence in the lost
1: art of meat cutting? I think there's a resurgence in uh, interest in food in general, and part of that is a resurgence in the interest of meat cutting. There are a lot more butchers now than there were when I was a kid, certainly. I remember we, we did have a butcher near us when I was a child, but it was kind of a, a hellhole in a strip mall that always smelled of blood and cigars. Uh, very strong childhood memory. Um, I, you don't you aren't going to run into anything like that nowadays. Uh, half the butchers out there seem to be former vegans. Um, and uh, people take it seriously, and they, they want good meat, and they want to know where it came from. Um, so, the, the fact that there are butchers popping up all over, uh, it's definitely a thing, and it's, I think it's a good thing.
0: Prior to being a butcher, you were a, a cook and you were a chef in one of our uh, neighborhood watering holes. It was more than a watering hole, at least while you were there. The food was excellent. So, uh, what made you decide to get into this new specialized
1: um, I've always been interested in butchery. Uh, I've been interested mostly in whole animal butchery. And I was sort of hoping to get more into that. Um, I left Fireflies just because there were management changes. And I figured I'd, my time was sort of over there. Uh, I wanted to do something new and different. And I ended up walking into Let's Meet one day around Thanksgiving and they seemed crazy, and I asked if they needed a hand. The next thing I knew, I was hired. Um, it's a different butcher shop than what I had expected because there isn't as much whole animal butchery just because we're very limited by the space. Uh, I was just describing earlier that there's a bank behind us, there is no back door, there is no loading dock. There's the front door, uh, which creaks and has a big glass pane, and if you tried to bring a large uh, animal through that, you would quickly find it either didn't fit or you would break something. Um, So we're forced to be uh, a sort of boutique meat shop um, where everybody in it is capable of of doing whole animal butchery, and we certainly know our way around meat. Um, But we've got to kind of uh, make allowances just for the the space we're in. Um, So it's it's a fun uh, shop to work in just because there's a lot of Uh, twists and turns that get thrown at you. How did you learn the craft? Um, I did a lot of uh, meat cutting when I was at Fireflies. I was always in charge of portioning uh, meats and breaking down chickens. And I taught myself a lot. Um, I've always been a nerd. And so I got interested in cooking because I wanted to impress a woman I was dating, now my wife, I got interested in cooking more, so I read everything I could. Um, I attended classes at L'Academy de Cuisine in Gaithersburg, and uh, then one day I found myself working in a restaurant, and I just, through it all, I kept reading. Um, So I have a fairly weird and wide knowledge, not necessarily deep knowledge, but a wide knowledge of a lot of different uh, aspects of cooking, And, and butchery was one that uh, always calm me down. When you're in a restaurant, everything's go 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 now 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 move move move. Why aren't you doing that faster? Um, when you're doing butchery, you kind of have to ignore that and do move at your at a sane pace. Otherwise, you're going to lose a finger um, or contaminate the meat with with blood, um, your blood. Uh, so Our um, blood. yeah. Uh, so I figured it was. It, it just became a, a sort of a zen thing that I enjoyed doing. And then I found that on my days off, I would go out and buy a rabbit because I, you know, you don't get a chance to break down mammals very awful, often. Um, and so I found myself buying rabbits just so I could play with breaking down mammals, which is uh, fun until your wife catches you picking up the cat to see how it's put together. Um, <laughs> that makes her anxious. I just can understand to, that. Yeah, I can understand. <laughs> so one of, the, one
0: of the great things, that, one of the things that I enjoy most at your shop is is some very uh, creative takes on just
1: the sausage, some very interesting mixes. How do you come up with these ideas? Um, that is a combination of a couple different things. Um, the other butcher there, the head butcher there really, Matt and I um, get along like a house on fire. we he comes from a, a meat cutting background. I come from a restaurant background, but we both like to cook and we both like to eat. And we, discovered we both have zany senses of humor and when you get two people like that in a room um, you don't know necessarily what's going to happen next and he mentioned one day that he was interested in doing more fusion food uh, in in, more interesting sausages uh, borrowing from sort of asian fusion cuisine is a better way to put that and pantry has 11 different types of soy sauce two different types of fish sauce and a ton of miso and goju jang, and that was what I like to cook. Um, So from there, it was easy to figure out that we wanted to do an Asian-style sausage, and from there, it was easy to figure out that sriracha sells, so let's do a sriracha sausage. And once we had done that, and uh, decided that that was a whole lot of fun, we just started bouncing ideas off one another. Um, We've got one right now that's sort of a Peruvian take on chorizo with aji amarillo, parsley, cilantro, garlic, and achiote. Uh, next week, we're probably going to try to do something based on the Cubano sandwich, oh, wow. uh, with pork and ham, and maybe some Swiss cheese and pickles in the in the grind. <laughs> I'm, I'm there. <laughs> I'm, I'm there. I'm yeah. There. So the the, the sausages are, are basically the the product of two people with um, crazy imaginations uh, who who bounce off one another really well. Switching
0: gears a little bit, sure. just, uh, who who's your typical customer?
1: The, our customers are, are are very strange in that there isn't a typical customer. We serve the neighborhood, and so I can I can rattle off a list of names, and they're our typical customer. Please don't do that. Yeah. They're regulars who come in um, fairly frequently. Um, but that said, we serve all types. Um, many of our customers tend to be fairly well-educated people who are careful about the meat they eat, and they want it... Uh, They want to know where it comes from, how it was raised, and what it was fed. That said, uh, they're all looking for different things out of that. Some of them want um, grass-fed for omega-3 acid. Some of them want grain-finished because they want more fat. Um, Some people just like to know that their hamburger is ground from uh, cuts from one or two steers as opposed to 150 or 250 or 1,000 um, if you go to a grocery store and and you'll sometimes see tubes of ground meat that can contain trim from dozens or more steers, um, and and so we we avoid that. Um, that said, we also get people who come in and they just want something that is fancy because it's a, a celebratory meal, so they want a ribeye the size of their head that they know has been well treated or dry aged or or whatever. Um, and we also carry a fair amount of uh, exotic cuts. Uh, we have some ground camel that comes to us frozen, um, oddly enough from Australia, because apparently Australia has a camel problem, um, which surprised me too. Uh, somebody saw a desert in the middle of Australia and dropped off a bunch of camels because every other animal there is poisonous, and camels aren't going to be one of those things that overrun the land, of course. Apparently, camels are pretty cussed and have taken over. <laughs> well, and we'll get on the topic of
0: invasive uh, species in the next segment of this particular episode, Fair enough. but uh, yeah, that's uh, that's very interesting. And, for those listening, uh, we uh, Let's Meet on the Avenue is in a neighborhood in Alexandria, Virginia. Uh, Alexandria, Virginia has a well-known neighborhood called Old Town. Uh, Let's Meet on the Avenue is in Delray. If Old Town was the Manhattan of Alexandria, Delray would be the Brooklyn. So just as uh, background, the hipster neighborhood. Yeah. I'm trying
1: to figure out where Williamsburg is. It's in Brooklyn. Yeah. No, I meant in here. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha.
0: Okay. Um, I should have known you, you uh, had your geography straight. So these days, people are concerned about the sustainability of, uh, of meat, of animal products. Um, how do you actually source your meat and make sure that you're meeting that kind of sustainability Our demand? Our
1: first concern is that things were well-treated, and so everything meets that a basic criterion. We want to know that our animals were not inhumanely treated. We tried to get certified humane, pasture-raised, um, uh, cage-free uh, range, actually. Um, I have to get the terminology straight. Um, so that's first. Uh, after that, uh, no hormones, no antibiotics. Um, we actually have spoken to all of our purveyors and said, listen, if you don't have what we want and you want to substitute something on the truck, we'll take any upgrades you want to send, but don't send us anything that's been treated with hormones or antibiotics. Um, Go up, don't go down uh, because the usual trend, if they don't have your stuff is to say, well, we'll send you the next cheapest in the, in the hierarchy. And we want the next, you know, we want to go with the more expensive. Um, So that's pretty much how we source things first. Um, After that, we try to get things as local as is practical. Um, Sometimes it's very hard to work with local farmers, although that's obviously the ideal um, because local farmers, uh, oftentimes, they are their own. Um, uh, they raise the meat, they slaughter the meat, they process the meat, they drive it to you. And if your farmer's sick, you don't get meat that weekend. Um, or if the farm you're supporting, we have a farm out in Early'sville, Virginia, uh, a fellow named Chris who's at Sylvan Aqua Farms. And they raise absolutely beautiful chickens, but they're a fairly small concern. So we get chickens from him once every two weeks. Um, he asked if we wanted hogs. and We said sure. We can we can take at least some of your your hog, um, but the the delivery time is something like uh, we said yes a couple of weeks ago. It's the beginning of August, and I think we're getting our 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 half a hog in October, sort of thing. Um, so that's one of the dangers of working with smaller uh, farms is that their production capability isn't all that great. Um, so sometimes we go a little bit further afield We try to deal with um, loose collectives of farms. Um, we get a lot of far- uh, our chicken from uh, Murray's Farms which as far as I understand are a loose collection of different farmers up in the Pennsylvania area who all sell under the Murray's brand. They're all carefully raised right. to, to uh, fairly exacting standards but they're not uh, just from one guy named Bob. Or uh, Murray. Or Murray, yeah. <laughs> um, so we try to get our stuff from, from local, uh, and local is, is infinitely fungible. So, uh, we get our pork from North Carolina, we get a lot of our chicken from Pennsylvania. Uh, we try to get close to home when we can, um, but it's a matter of what is available, what is reasonably priced, and what's going to sell. Mm-hmm
0: so on the on the subject of of pork if I go to an upscale supermarket it's usually relatively easy for me to get uh, chicken that they claim is fairly humanely raised yeah. pasture raised the uh, same with with beef with uh, cows pork seems to be a bigger issue at least in those in that arena do you find the same kind of problem we're
1: it's been made easy for us because I'm really happy with the pork we get from Cheshire Heritage Farms. They seem to be doing it right and they seem to be able to get us uh, pork at a fairly reasonable uh, consistency. Um, it's not something we have to, to struggle too much. Um, what The pork that makes me happiest though, and I'm I'm most secure in, uh, is pork from folks like Sylvan Aqua Farms where I know that i've seen these pigs on instagram um uh, being pigs out in the field and and doing what pigs do Um, i'm always much happier with uh, pork that has come from you know a farmer right next door
0: what do you wish customers would do that they don't currently do
1: most of our customers are pretty good um but and they they are interested in their food and where it comes from and they're interested in talking to their butchers. But I think I wish that customers too would be still more interested, do a little more reading, a little more research into um, you know, where their food comes from and what they're looking for and get a sense of, of how they cook and um, what they would like out of a meal. Are they just trying to get food on the table? Do they want something that they can relax over? Um, do Are they more comfortable sautéing or roasting or braising? And start inquiring uh, with with me or with any other butcher, you know, what's what's the right meat for the meal I want to cook? And having that sort of awareness uh, helps the process and it sort of helps the customer when they get to the, the counter. And, you know, the conversation usually goes, what can I do for you? Well, I don't know. Well, what are you looking to do? Well, I don't know. Okay, are you looking for dinner? Or are you looking for breakfast? Um, and there's, uh, it would help overcome some of that. It's almost like the, the pre-test jitters where you know, they're suddenly at the, uh, the counter and they're staring at a wall of meat and they don't know what they want. Um, so I sometimes wish customers were, were a little more um, aware of what they were going to do with what they bought. You want to have a conversation with your customers? If I could with every customer, that would be ideal. Um, It's not always possible. And there are always the customers who don't want to have a conversation at all. They want to get in, get their thing, and get out. And uh, arguably, those people don't need my help because they know exactly what they're doing. Um, uh, But, yeah, I think think stopping and talking with your butcher when it's possible is never a bad plan. Um, Because you might find out that there's something hiding in the back or an unloved uh, uh, cut of meat that that isn't on display um, that the butcher's really excited about, and it might be a, a treasure. Um, I had a customer who came in not too, too long ago who was looking for something he could cure in the way of pork. He was looking to make bacon, and I mentioned in passing, hey, I've got a pork jowl, and he said, "A pork jowl, what, what do you do with a pork jowl? I said, well, the Italians will cure it and make what they call guanciale. Um, I'm from the South where they smoke it, treat it just like bacon, and smoked hog jowl goes in uh, Green's dishes uh, left, right, and center. Um, So if you're looking to make bacon, buy a hog jowl. And he kind of looked at me for a minute and said, all right, I'm in. And he was excited as could be. He sort of ran out of there clutching it like a little football. Um, And so that was a lot of fun. And he would never have discovered that had he not struck up a conversation about bacon, and I never would have sold that pork jowl if, if I hadn't had a guy who came in who was interested in just seeing what was around. Mm-hmm.
0: And that plays in well to what you were saying about what draws drew you to becoming a butcher in the, in the first place from the restaurant business. It's a lot yeah. harder to have that conversation
1: from the back kitchen than it during is. rush when you When you leave a restaurant kitchen, when you work in a restaurant kitchen, you are very much disconnected from the customer, and there's almost a sense of us versus them, because they're the people who order the wrong thing and want it cooked the wrong way, and they have special demands and allergies, and all of these things. uh, Get the damn gluten out of my food. Right. Um, Well, uh, take the gluten out of this rice and give me a third beer is is something I've actually overheard. Um, uh, So you you develop a very adversarial restaurant, uh, Restaurant, uh, uh, relationship, relationship with uh, the people who are eating your food without even meaning to. Even if you want to cook the best food for your customers, even if you really care about your customers, it's very hard to see them as something other than an obstacle to be overcome. You have to get the food out to feed everyone, and you have to do it quickly, and you can't get it wrong ever, because um, if you do, they'll be all over you. Um, there's none of that in a butcher shop. But at the same time, when I first started working in the butcher shop, I was petrified because I didn't know how to talk to people. I'm naturally very shy, and after years of working in a restaurant kitchen, I'm naturally very shy, I'm now nocturnal, I work nights, I work a job where I burn myself pretty regularly so I'm hideously disfigured. And uh, you begin to feel, as a cook, uh, a little bit like Quasimodo, you know, you, you, you do not fit in with the rest of the world. So all of a sudden I got stuck behind a counter where I'm cutting meat for people and talking to people every day. And I discovered two things, maybe three. Um, The first was that I can talk to people. The second is that I'm pretty good at it. And the third is that I actually enjoy it most of the time when it goes well. And, you know, there are always um, bad apples and there are always days when you can't talk uh, to save your life. Uh, But it's a very different atmosphere. And the fact that I get to be the butcher in a neighborhood where we really are the neighborhood butcher means that all of a sudden I'm saying hello to people on the street who I, you know, I, I don't necessarily always recognize them, but they know me, and they'll say, "Hey, I'll be there on Saturday," and I'll say, "That's great." Who, who are you again? And then I'll see them in the shop and think, "Oh yeah, that guy." And so that that dynamic is very different for working in a restaurant, and the notion of interacting. And communicating and developing trust with your with your clientele, I think that's what makes a real neighborhood butcher um, work, and it's what has made it so enjoyable for me. And it's a very different vibe than the sort of anonymous uh, guys in white coats behind the glass wall at uh, your your local food mart.
0: Okay. All right. So uh, that being said. What's the best and worst part of your job?
1: Oh, that's customers. Um, There are always going to be great interactions, and I really sort of thrive on those. Um, There are always going to be awkward uh, interactions because there's always going to be that time when you just miss talking to someone. And uh, every now and then I'll have a conversation with a customer, and they will leave the shop, and I'll think, I wonder where they parked their spaceship. Um, That was a very weird, weird interaction, and I never know whether that's me or that's them or some combination of the two and then there are the people who who uh, they come in and they know what they want and i feel like what they want isn't what's going to be the best for them they want something super lean that they can throw in a crock pot and i say you know hey if you take that piece of sirloin and you throw it in a crock pot and you simmer it for four hours. You're going to have a rich sauce surrounding a hard little pencil eraser that isn't really going to be something you can eat. You want collagen, you want connective tissue. And they don't, they don't want to hear that. And then sometimes people are just jerks. And we've had those too. And, you know, hopefully we don't get too many of them. And when they come in, they don't seem to come back. So that's cool.
0: You hear that, people? <laughs> be nice to your neighborhood butcher. They have sharp knives. We do. <laughs> they have meat grinders. <laughs> they have all sorts of devices uh okay what would you like to achieve in your job
1: that you haven't been able to do i would like to be able to do more whole animal butchery and i realize that to do that we have to change space either move to a different location or change the space we're in and we we've talked uh matt and i the, the butchers with the, the actual owners who are part of the day-to-day to day operations of the place as well i don't mean to make it sound like they're not part of it Anne and donna and linda uh the Welsh sisters who own the shop, um, are all definitely very present. And and we've all talked about trying to figure out some other way to go. But right now we're happy with where we are. We're happy with the customers we have since we don't want to move. Um, and it's not like we can just knock down the music store next door or the bank behind us. And um, So we're, we're, we're sort of still trying to figure out what to do with that. Maybe a butcher shop on the roof of the butcher shop.
0: Okay. So I'm going to switch gears on you again because the internet is a dangerous thing. I downloaded some uh, butcher slang words. This came from First We Feast. I want to run them by you and uh, get your take on
1: whether they're words you're familiar with and what your response to them is. Surely. Only one caveat. Uh, One of the things I run into a lot is that butcher lingo is very different depending on your background. So, uh, one of the things that I think is fun and sometimes incredibly frustrating is butchers who are trained in France versus butchers who are trained in Germany versus butchers who are trained in Latin America versus the U.S. And even within the U.S., whether you're on the, the, the you know north or south of the Mason-Dixon line, east or west of the Mississippi, the lingo changes um, rapidly. Um, so every now and then somebody will ask us for something and, and all of us just stop and stare. And then it's a Google party from there. So I don't know. Okay, I'm, I might do all right, though. Okay, okay. Uh,
0: uh, to everybody listening, uh, I, you just experienced the art of setting low expectations. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so the first one,
1: uh, Boston Butt. What is it? It is the top part of the pork shoulder. Um, it's called a Boston Butt. Uh, no one really knows why for sure. Um, one theory is that it used to be packed in wooden barrels called butts. Um, I've often suspected that it's because that top part of the shoulder that looks most like a rifled butt, but that's interpretive etymology. Okay, but it is definitely not part of the butt. It is, mm-hmm. No, it, it does not come from the butt. Okay. I, I have that conversation a lot. Okay. Uh, chump. <laughs> chump is usually the lamb sirloin. Excellent. Any idea where that came from? I have no idea where it comes from. The only people who use that term are Brits um and so it's one of those things where you have to sort of switch your your gears real quick when that comes up at least in my experience i've only heard brits say that okay uh okay because in in uh ireland
0: it's the closely named champ is uh, mashed potatoes with the um, oh, cabbage in it yeah <laughs> food, food food
1: names and regional varieties right. will do you in okay
0: uh now i come from a technology background mm-hmm. so the word hacker means something very specific in my background it's a Usually a very skilled programmer.
1: Yeah, I, I, I also uh, I worked internet security for a number of years before I started cooking. A uh, hacker is new to me. Okay, uh, it is allegedly a bad meat cutter, so it oh, has a completely different you know, connotation. I wonder, it I, I was like, sounds like some guy <laughs> yeah, who's just here. whacking at me, you but know, I, I wouldn't have... It's I, like
0: the psycho shower scene. Yeah,
1: yeah, no, I, I uh, never heard that, but okay. it makes sense. Uh, oyster. Oyster, depending on what you're talking about, oyster could be the piece of meat under, when you break down a chicken, it's the meat at the top of the thigh, right underneath the backbone. There's also an oyster steak on a steer. Uh, again, it's the same idea. It's a, a, a hidden cut of meat underneath the bone.
0: You, you guessed what my next one was gonna be. Now the oyster was always my brother and sister's favorite part of the chicken. Sure, they would be. fight over it. Yeah, Although they, they assured me that it was the butt, the chicken butt.
1: No, well, I've always thought the chicken butt was what uh, I grew up hearing uh, referred to as the Pope's nose, okay. um, or the Parsons' nose, depending on your... your uh... <laughs> neither, you
0: neither of those which appear on this list. Okay, two more, and keep in mind that this is a uh, PG-rated podcast. The, the next one is Sloppy Seconds. Uh, nope. Don't know that one. Except
1: <laughs> it's uh, what it's what occurs allegedly. What occurs? Uh, what do you have left over after you, you grind the meat? meat and, yeah, I I would have guessed that was something like it, but I've never heard that term applied to it.
0: And uh, the next one, that's a six-inch boner.
1: Six-inch? Uh, yeah, that's just a, a, a boning knife. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. You passed. that, one, that you, one. I know
0: your low expectations worked. All you missed was uh, chump and hacker, which yeah. that that seems to me. A fairly generic one thank you very much for your time uh taylor is there
1: anything you'd like to say to close this uh i just like to you know uh strongly encourage everybody to come see us at let's meet on the avenue at 2403 mount vernon avenue um we're open six days a week and we've probably got something you'd like if you like meat.
0: please visit let's meet on the avenue and uh thanks again talk to you next time it was great uh being here and so ends the first interview on the food cast. I have information on Let's Meet on the Avenue in the show notes, but Taylor wasn't done with me. He assigned me a task, and we're going to get to that next. I'm walking over to Let's Meet on the Avenue to pick up some wild boar chops. It's over 100 degrees out, but I'm still walking because it's the neighborhood butcher. It kind of ruins the whole advantage of having a neighborhood butcher if I drive to it. Also, it lets me play with my cool wireless mic. I do love pork, but as you know, I love pigs, too. I think we call cow meat beef and pig meat pork to distract us from the fact that we're eating a once living creature. But we still call chicken, chicken. You think that's because chickens are assholes? I've always known that wild boar is a sustainable and more humane way to enjoy pig meat. There are millions of wild boar running around all over the country. They're mean and destructive animals. They cause erosion, destroy endangered and valuable plants, and have been known to kill people's pets. They're so rampant and destructive, many states have bounties on them. It would add insult to fatal injury if we simply disposed of the dead animal. At least that's my rationalization. The problem is, like most game, wild boar is very lean, and it's hard to cook so that it stays juicy and maintains that porky flavor. Luckily, Taylor, my friendly neighborhood butcher, is guiding me in the process. I enter the store. I'm confronted by the blast of cold air, the smell of raw meat, and the uncomfortable sound of Phil Collins playing on the sound system. I am interested in two boar chops, please. Three. Three. Three boar chops. Okay, let me see what I have. Here we are. We got something new in this week. You're interested. You know, we like to buy. From local farmers, and we've one of our uh, regular suppliers for the dog bones. Uh, he also raises cattle, and he is uh, doing this sus- sustainable cattle business with local breweries, where he provides them the grain for the breweries. Then he, they once they spent the grain, he takes that back, feeds it to his cows, and then he sells. The prime cuts to us, okay. and the ground beef portions back to the breweries, which have, a, have restaurants often. Okay. So it's a it's a that's nice a, cycle yeah, that we, we a, like to be a part of. The circle of life. The circle of <laughs> life, yes. And what cuts of that do you have? We, right now I have uh, the ribeye. Um, I've also got some flank and some skirt, and some this, brisket. I'll take a skirt. Please. Okay. And now armed with the boar chops that were part of my assignment, and some beer-fed skirt steak that wasn't. I head on home. I brought home the chops, and now I'm following Taylor's recipe that he gave me. To keep the board chops moist, he recommended marinating them first for a few hours before I start cooking them. And the marinade he recommended was Asian fish sauce, ground black pepper, and a little lemongrass. I didn't have any fresh lemongrass at home, and I don't really like working with it anyway. I did have some lemongrass uh, concentrate in the pantry which I was about to use before I looked at it and found out that it was expired. I don't really feel like poisoning anybody so I'm just going to go with the fish sauce and the black pepper and I mix those together and I put them in a resealable bag and I'm putting the chops in there now and we're just going to let them sit for a while. Hey, Hi. how you said doing? two, right? Yeah, I Good. said two. Excellent. I'm recording <laughs> so it can be just like an episode of the Barefoot Contessa. Okay. I don't
1: think I've ever seen a Barefoot Contessa. Oh, well, you know, <laughs> she does these
0: great things and then she has them come over, people come over and eat sure. some. Plus, I'm barefoot, so. Fair enough. They're just about ready. All right. Help yourself. Surely. Hope it's to your liking. If not, it's Surely. your fault. So.
1: Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Looks juicy. I'd say that's a success definitely not. I think for me it's
0: a little bit salty mm-hmm.
1: my wife Would that I, be, oh. go mm-hmm. on. My, my wife reminded me last night that I had actually uh, booby trapped you the recipe I gave you she reminded me I usually use a little bit of palm sugar in the marinade as well mm. which cuts the spiciness and she mentioned this at like midnight last night and I thought I could send them <laughs> but it might be a little bit late, and it might yeah. just make everyone a little bit crazy and be like changing horses in midstream. I, I didn't use the lemongrass. I had, I didn't have lemongrass.
0: I had these little envelope extract mm-hmm. lemongrass, but it, it expired in twenty fifteen. So I figured, <laughs> figured I wouldn't do that to you. Mm. Now, I marinated it for probably about four hours. Okay. Would that have cut the saltiness if I had done... Well, yeah, probably You you told me. you had told me 40 minutes, no more than a
1: day. Yeah. 40 minutes will get you the, the brightness of the fish sauce without being overpoweringly salty. And then cutting it with sugar is probably the way to go if you're going to let it go for more than a few hours. So you're probably right on the cusp of just a hair... I'm here too salty. Now that said, I tend to like fairly salty food. If, if you work in a professional kitchen long enough, you get to the point where you either don't like salt at all anymore, or you oversalt <laughs> everything. It's like you either drop the minute you walk into a kitchen, you either drop fifty pounds or put on fifty pounds, because you're either your 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 entire everything's out of whack because you eat when other people don't eat, uh, you eat whatever's at hand and already cooked, and so. If you work in a professional kitchen, there's a very good chance that you're living on handfuls of salami and already cooked bacon. Because they're to hand. And so, like, going around and finding fruit or vegetables, that becomes difficult. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But I, I'm very happy with this. It's my solution to my reconciling my love of pork with my
1: love of pigs. Right. Right. Because these guys are nasty creatures. Oh, they are. They are. They are. Uh, you know, they were the the sort of the the feared critter of the ancient world. Um, you know, all through the Odyssey, uh, there's a lot made of the scar Odysseus has on his thigh from being gored by a boar that he was right. hunting. Um, so, you know, depictions of of pigs in the modern era tend to be you think of Wilbur and Charlotte's right. Webb, They were they were kind of fearsome. Going back a little, that's a little literary for me.
0: I think of Arnold Ziffle.
1: Hmm. <laughs>
0: We just finished our wild boar, and in conclusion, it uh, definitely passed the juicy taste, the porky taste, the texture was great. It was not too tough and dry. I, I think okay. it was spot on. So thank you for uh, helping me with this and sure. uh, helping me address this problem, <laughs> and uh, I look forward to learning some more. All right.
1: Well, thank you. thank you for having me, and thank you for feeding me. Oh, sure, my pleasure.
0: And so we've come to the end of another episode of the Karma Sense Foodcast. In this episode, we reviewed the results of CSPI's Extreme Eating Award. We had an interview with one of the rock stars of the foodie world, the independent local neighborhood butcher. We visited the butcher and their paleo-friendly candy store, The Butcher Shop, and we worked in partnership to help me eat in a way that honors my values. What can you take away from this? There are people who are willing to exploit us as customers, as well as the animals that give their life for us just to satisfy their own needs. And there are people who are willing to help us and preserve the dignity of those same animals in a way that supports everyone. Which one do you trust to help you be healthier, happier, and save the world? What did I learn? Well, wild boar can be a sustainable, humane, and delicious part of my diet. I also learned a crapload of new things to improve future food casts. I want to thank the team at Let's Meet on the Avenue, Anne, Donna, Linda, Taylor, Matt, and Billy, for supporting my health and happiness, and for tolerating my amateur podcasting skills. I'll post information about Let's Meet on the Avenue as well as other goodies from this episode in the show notes. If you think this show has potential, please subscribe and give me a review on the podcast medium of your choice, iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, Stitcher, or StarTalk. If you have a good idea for an activity or stunt, a proposal for a guest, or want to be a guest, message me through my website, KarmasenseWellness.com. You can also reach me through any number of active social media accounts that are listed on that site. If you're into books, you can read this type of foolishness by getting your copy of The Karma Sense Eating Plan, wherever fine books are sold. How my book got put on the same shelf as those, I'll never know. Remember, all profits go to support Alice's kids. That's it for self-promotion. Until next time, remember what my old pal Bozo always says.
1: so
0: always
1: say, just keep laughing. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
0: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo when we lost track of time.